Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Ryan Goldstein was a student at Central Connecticut State University who, among so many accomplishments when he was there 10 or so years ago, uh, was a recipient of the Firon Duran Scholarship, which found the student of high promise who was committed to developing excellence in everything they did in business, in healthcare, and in this case, in automobile dealerships and selling automobiles. So Ryan has fulfilled the promise of excellence over all the years that I've stayed in touch. And you will hear in a moment in this conversation why it's so clear that he is giving this field a practice a really good name. He's earning it. One happy, well-satisfied, and well-consulted customer after another. Yes, we're going to have a conversation with someone whose practice so far is selling and managing the sales of automobiles. Folks, I'm at it again. I love to follow the trail back to uh, my central Connecticut life to find footprints that were set down there of people who are now well into their career. And I found the footprints of Ryan Goldstein. Well, let me tell you something about Ryan before I introduce him more formally. If I were to follow his footprints around campus, I'd be, first I'd be over to the dining center where he was catering, helping catering meals. And then I'd find him certainly in the classroom and I'd find him in a library. I, this guy, he was the, he was the garden gnome of CCSU for me because I love seeing him, but he was everywhere. You remember that, Brian? I do. Do you think I'm exaggerating a little bit? Because you were peripatetic. When you not were not at all, Doc. You know, I wanted to have the true experience and, and take in everything that Central had to offer. And thank you for so, so much for having me today. Yeah. And, and, and you also wanted to help finance yourself through school, which was almost possible back then, 10 years ago or so. Uh, but that was true of so many of our students. You, you did the work. You did a lot of work on campus and you did a lot of work off campus, but that work ethic particularly stands out as I think, and I reached back to you recently for, for this conversation because uh, I knew whoever employed you when you graduated was going to have a dynamo of the good sign. You're a thoughtful dynamo, not just a like a wily Cody running around trying to catch the roadrunner, you actually had quite a few roadrunner meals in your career already. Now, let me tell the folks what world you're working in. It's a, it's really a world that literally touches all of us. And that is the selling of new and used cars. Uh, yes, folks, I am talking to a used car salesman, but a really, really fine one. He works for a dealership called Ingersoll Automotive. It's located in Danbury, Connecticut. And this is not a commercial. I am not going to be the progressive lady and all the other stuff. 
I'm just saying out of great respect that when Ryan once told me he was going to intern in an automobile dealership, remember Ryan, I go, are you sure? I could set you up in the Duran. You're a Duran, fear on Duran scholar. We can see it, get you working at Duran like Brittany Instead the, the next year. Uh, and you said, oh, I really feel I want to do this. Do you, you remember when you felt that's what you wanted to try that uh, last uh, year of your time at Central? I do. I do. And that was almost nine years ago, Doc. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've always had a passion for cars. And while studying management and marketing in college, I realized that there's a lot of opportunity in, in a sales position. And it's, it's especially fun when you're selling something you like. And working with, with different consumers, I learned a lot. And that learning hasn't stopped. That, that I've, I've checked back with you from time to time because, I, all right, now are you done in cars? Are you ready to do something else? No, I'm still in cars. And it doesn't mean that you can't think of anything else, does it? You told me just before I turned on the recording that there's so much change, and particularly in this last year through the COVID horror, that uh, I don't think you're being... Uh, you're not bored. No, for sure not. I mean, we're, we're always training on new products, especially working in a dealership like myself that has four brands. We're a General Motors dealership, so Chevy, Cadillac, Buick, and GMC. Um, we've had to change the way in which we sell cars this past year because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, contactless delivery. Um, it, it was just a push for us to have a more efficient process. And in turn, I think that coming out of this now, after we, we get through the inventory challenges that we're facing, mm -hmm. the consumers are really going to have a better experience when they buy a car. That's always mattered to you. I remember one of the times when you and I were talking about what it was like for you to work in that in the showroom at early time, you know, behind the desk. And I think I'd probably had too much cynicism about how I had experienced some of those folks behind the desk. And you said, no, actually you were starting to create sales records. And I think the question was, well, what do you do differently? And I think there were two things that I recall. One is that you truly welcomed people. It wasn't just, uh Oh, here comes another customer. You, you lit up. And secondly, you had empathy. You had a feeling for what the people you were going to possibly put into an automobile or say, this may not be the place for you. You may want to be looking into some other thing. But you, you were really the, the human being we all wanted to meet in the showroom when we were making that huge investment. I mean, it's a big ticket for any of us at any age. So... My, my focus has always been on building relationships because one positive experience, if I take the time, and I probably spend almost double the amount of time uh, with a client is many, than many other colleagues, but at the end, they're thrilled and they've never had a purchase experience like it. And I always ask for a referral. And it's extremely important to me that they're completely satisfied um, because at a certain point, your business is just going to be referrals. 
you know, you don't really, I, I don't really have to pick up the phone very much in this, in this part of the game, you know, take an incoming call from someone I've never met before. Uh, most people that I work with have bought a vehicle from me and or are referring a relative or a friend. That is, that to me is the way I was raised in Maine as a kid. My grandfather, uncle, my dad were all um, in the selling world um, of different things than cars, but the, the value that we were raised on was reputation, reputation, reputation. Now this is Portland, Maine, relatively small city back in the you know day, uh, but it's never changed. The really great work that my family members were able to bring to our family for our benefit. And I think knowing your family history a bit with the, uh, the lumberyard, right, is that relationships are crucial. I don't know how the business world lost track of that, uh, but I think it's coming back, don't you? That now, now that you're in a sure. position... I, I think the technologies changed the interaction a bit because most consumers, at least in my generation, come in and they've already done a lot of research, yeah. not just not just about price, but about options. Mm -hmm. So they don't really use us to consult as much, where if you look at my role, um, a lot of it really has to do with consulting. You know, what brought you in today? Well, let's talk about what you're looking for in the vehicle where a lot of the, the consumers who come in really think they know what package they want. Um, and, you know, they think they know what the fair price is. So mm -hmm. I always enjoy consulting with someone because it's interesting to see how many people purchase a vehicle that meets their needs better than the one they thought they were going to get. That's a great transition because imagine you've just signed a, a loan or you lay down some cash and you're in an automobile and for at least three, five years, if it's new and even used, I mean, used cars are very, very expensive. Sure. Depending on the quality. So you're in the car and you're going, Oh man, what a mistake. <laughs> yeah. The seat's not right. The, uh, you know, the, there's too much windshield noise, you know, and, but you're stuck. Now, yeah. And the first, think, the now, first step the, for us is the son of a gun who sold us me that car. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to drive by his window and I'm going to shake a <laughs> That's yeah. not Ryan Goldstein. <laughs> the, the first step is to really conduct an interview to determine somebody's needs. And I'm not even discussing affordability at this point because we first need to find a vehicle they like. No, what? no one's going to pay for a vehicle they, they don't like. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about the amenities. It's more about how many passengers are you going to have in the vehicle? You know, are you going to be using it to commute or are you going to be using it around town? And I try to stay away from color and things because most people can be flexible. It's just more important that I land them on the right model and I build value in it. And before we do payment or anything, I, I point blank ask the, the transparent question, is this the right car for you after we've driven it, after we've looked at the options? And if it's yes, then it's time to do the numbers. If it's no, then I still need to figure out what the right vehicle for them would be. Now you're representing used cars now. 
So that gives well, you for, for new and used. I mean, if you look at my career doc, I started, you know, as a sales consultant in my in the sister store, which was two brands. Mm-hmm. And we Cadillac. had probably about 200 cars total. And now, you know, I'm in I'm in our larger store in Danbury, Connecticut, and I'm overseeing the used car operation. Um, so I'm I'm really the manager on the other side who's helping put together the financial scenario. But I still have roots as a sales consultant because <laughs> look, I go out sometimes and I'm talking to the people about the, the, the financial scenario mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of instances where I realize we're just on the wrong car. And I say right in front of the sales consultant and the guest, you know, I don't think we're on the right car. That must like create a moment of silence. Doesn't it particularly? It, it does. It does a little bit, but. But um, I think that's a wonderful thing to say. I work in an industry that isn't well respected. That's right. And I say that because people people have um, the idea that we take advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, you can ask anyone who who purchases a car from me, and they'll say they're happy, and that they're happy with the deal. Because if they're not happy with the deal, I don't. I, I don't even encourage them to buy the car. I try to stay away from that. It's just not worth the damaging of the reputation. This podcast series that Peter Vale and I started and the moment we're having right now is particularly focused on the individual in the context of whatever organizational uh, continuity that makes it likely that you can do your very best at what you what you particularly like or love to do. And uh, it sounds to me like you are in the right context. You love cars. You also love developing essentially a local reputation, even though I know you sell beyond the borders of your two or three small cities. But that notion that, hey, if you really want to explore changing vehicles, you got to go see Ryan Goldstein. Just go see him. He'll, you know, he'll make time for you. Help you sort through what you want to do. Well, he's going to pressure me. No, that's not the practice you've crafted, is it? You have actually said, I want to be the one who makes the, this stereotype of, of car salesmen and car dealers dissolve a bit, at least in the experience of people. We may not be able to do it overnight, but you certainly started a trend in your dealership yeah and when you purchase a vehicle it should be no different than when you purchase a home you know you're 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 purchasing a a, you know a product but also you're there's an experience that comes along with that and it's not always it shouldn't always be you know this one is the least expensive because if i lose a deal over five hundred dollars they're not getting the experience Right. It's not just about the sale. It's what happens after the sale. You know, we have a fleet of courtesy vehicles. Um, our service department really does a stand up job with retention because after we sell the car and we build all the value, we see them once every three or four years. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's the turnover. I can get someone into a car and out of a car. But the service department, has seen them probably 15 to 20 times just in routine maintenance. So if they don't do a stand-up job, then that's going to, that's going to hurt me. 
big time. Do you have conversations with your leadership team for the dealership around that issue then? Consistently, because it's important that I, I, I'm aware of what's going on in our service department. Um, cars are machines. They break. People, people get hurt. People go to the doctor, right? It, it's, it's all the same, but it's not always a happy experience when your car breaks. It, 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 it typically happens at the most inconvenient time for most mm -hmm. consumers. But it's important. Uh, I have I have the sales team look at the appointment schedule and our service department daily because I want them to know who's there. It's important just to walk by them and say, "How you doing, Mr. Smith? You know your Chevy Equinox is in for service today. It's good to see you." There's a lot to that. It really is. It's not yeah. just a ritual. You actually can walk out there and mean it. Uh, knowing in the larger context of how important it is to the dealership to make sure the service experiences uh, never discourage people from coming back for the next car. Uh, what's been changing? I remember a conversation you and I had just not for the podcast purposes, but it was around the time when um, there was an awful lot of pressure on Cadillac, for example, and other more standard um, luxury cars. Uh, and they were kind of losing a bit of their uh, mm -hmm. market or maybe a lot of their market. And uh, I've noticed uh, as I love to watch things like um, motor week that uh, GM with the products you represent seem to have really caught on to how to make their vehicles more reliable, but also more attractive to a variety of people. Uh, it, it, what's your perception? Because you're on the other end, you see what's coming across for 2022 and you see the difficulties it is in getting the, the, the cars to your shop now because of the pen, pandemic. But how do you feel uh, about representing General Motors at this point? I feel great. I mean, we have a really good lineup because you know, when you're consulting with someone and asking the questions, if I only had one crossover SUV to choose, then I would really be trying to sell that. But in reality, if the Chevy Equinox doesn't work for them, I'll show them a GMC Terrain. So we, we have multiple options in terms of vehicle selection within, within any particular segment. Uh, but I, I would like to loop back on Cadillac for a moment because yeah. when you and I had had that conversation, that was quite a while ago. Yeah. And, and, Cadillac is struggling with brand recognition. The product is fantastic. I don't think anybody's going to complain sitting behind the wheel. Uh, but if you if you compare it in terms of price point to another luxury vehicle, a BMW or, or a Mercedes, those vehicles have a high retention rate. And most people are brand loyal who are in those cars. So it's just hard to make a transition because we don't have a competitive price edge. You know, if, if our car was $5,000 less, I'm not even sure that that would be enough. But the reality is that there, there isn't a large enough margin where I can get someone to even come look at the car. Hmm. Because Cadillac wants to be considered luxury and you can read many different articles, but the way I look at the luxury market is, you know, you have the prestige brands, the Bentley, the Lamborghini, the Ferrari, those are mostly the exotic cars. And then you have 
you know, the, the premium of the luxury group, which is the Mercedes, the BMWs, the Audis, those are like the well-recognized brands. And then you go below that, we have the brands that call themselves luxury, but really aren't, right? You have the Cadillac, the Lexus, um, the Jaguar, for that matter, can fall in that category to some people because, look, this is why Apple is doing so well. Mm-hmm. And that's why Apple can come out with different products and immediately have some success with it because yeah. of the brand. And, and that something you as a mortal human being cannot uh, completely solve. Yeah. Uh, do you have opportunity for conversation, however, through your district, your regions, and even back to the corporation? We do. Around, we do. Around how do we get this Cadillac uh, to... Um, yeah, we're we're a franchise we're a franchised next. dealer. So yeah. so we have um, resources through General Motors and district managers through General Motors, and we hold we hold calls uh, monthly that that involve marketing, product availability, and it's different for us because we have all four brands. Mm-hmm. So we don't rely on the sales of Cadillac to keep the lights on. Right. But there's a lot of standalone Cadillac dealerships that participate very highly in those calls because yeah. they're the ones who need to need to make sure that they're going to be able to hit the quota. All the eggs are in that basket. Absolutely. And that's that's scary because you, out of out of all four brands, yeah, that we don't sell tough. too many Cadillacs. That would be tough. Now you are also in these nine years and now going forward, you're also in another really interesting uh, transformation of, of this particular uh, vehicle, which is electrics. Definitely. And I have been noticing the ads and thinking of you, Cadillac is putting out a very impressive ad about their, uh, I'm not sure what they call it. The lyric. Yeah, but it lights up and everything makes this, everything lights up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a, to me it's effective, and I'm wondering if maybe part of their uh, change process will be to do what Volvo is promising to do immediately now, which is to go totally electric by you know in the next five years. G- GM has announced uh, that by 2035 we'll have an all electric lineup and, and Chevrolet in particular has, has been producing electric vehicles now for some time. I mean, That's the Chevy right. Bolt has been out since 2017 and it gets about 240 miles on a charge. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's a perfect example of a vehicle that leases actually very well. So a consumer could come in and want a $300 payment. We end up putting them in an electric car which they did not come in asking for, but are they happy with it? Yeah, very much. So, um, look, you don't pay for gas, but you have to pay for electricity. Mm-hmm. You definitely save a lot in maintenance because they don't have mm-hmm. the traditional transmission. Um, they're very quiet. I'm not going to be a cheerleader for it because I don't think it's for everyone, oh. but I, I have no problem with the way the car drives. It, it, it's really a very nice ride if you give it a chance. But it's not going to come to your service department quite as frequently as the 
It's not. And that's As something, a combustion engine, so it, which could cut into your whole... That's you know. something we have to address as well, because across the board in the industry, um, we can test reliability now. And it's extremely important to a consumer that, that the car is reliable. So we all have really, you know, uh, um, increased our quality in the vehicles, both mechanically and cosmetically. I love it when you say we, because that means as a practitioner of automotive uh, sales, uh, you you realize that you stand for that General Motors. You you in your community, you are the General Motors guy. Absolutely. Yeah. So rise or fall, Brian Goldstein's uh, position in the community has somewhat somewhat to do with that. Uh, a whole lot of other wonderful things you do uh, off off the clock, but uh, you see yourself riding with this uh, connection and identity somewhat indefinitely now, Ryan, as you're reaching year ten from when you and I used to look at each other over a luncheon table when you were serving me my soup. <laughs> well, this is a time intensive business, and. If you look at if you look back when I was in college, I did keep very busy. Oh yeah. But I had three or four different jobs at one time on top of the schoolwork. You know, yes, I did the did. catering like you'd mentioned. Um, you know, and I always took 18 credits when I could. Mm -hmm. But I was also a resident assistant, don't forget. That's a big that job. helped me that helped me pay my way through college, but that took a lot of time as well. Mm -hmm. Um but I liked it because you were you were constantly switching between one and another. Mm -hmm. And I think I had a very low stress level then, even though I was very busy. I used to marvel at it, actually. Yeah, this this job is a little bit different because <laughs> I, I, I'm there in the store about 60 hours a week, I want to say. Wow. Um, but I take work home with me. You know, I have a work cell phone. You're a manager, meaning. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if you look at if you look at management, you should always be promoted from beneath, not from above. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason that I'm so busy is because I've shown that I'm good at what I do. I'm respected by my team and therefore they rely on me. Mm hmm. 24 by seven, <laughs> but how, but how much longer doc? I, I don't know. I don't want to say that I'll be doing this indefinitely because even though the product is changing, even though, you know, the process has changed slightly, especially with, with COVID. Um, I think there's a lot more that I can bring to the table mm -hmm. with this background. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were to do uh, a frog leap with your imagination to another altogether different lily pad and i'm dragging you through this but sure i really mean it sincerely i would ask any practitioner who's successful in what you do to recognize there may be a point when it no longer uh just wakes you up in the morning saying oh boy you know and i think everyone should have an oh boy because look how many lives were lost with that awful virus people who no longer get to wake up 
if anything else, we've learned the value of a day, right? Having yeah. a day with health. So if you were to leap over to a different lily pad, have you thought about how you could take everything you are and everything you know, but take it to that lily pad and either serve someone else's needs Definitely. or your own business? Yeah, absolutely. Because no matter what, I'm going to take what skills I've acquired and what knowledge that I've learned and I'm going to apply it to whatever I may do in the future. For example, if I were to not work in a dealership, but work for, for GM or an automotive corporation, because one thing I find with, with their management um, is that most of them don't have a solid dealership experience. It's one thing to say, I've worked in a dealership for a year. I know how to sell cars. You know, I know how to run the dealership and I know how to lead the team. Mm -hmm. I know I know how to, how to create a plan which will yield necessary results. Mm -hmm. I see very trans transferable uh, skill set there. Yeah. I also see Brian as a training slash consulting slash coach guy. Uh, is that, which would mean you're not necessarily carrying the weight of a business on your shoulders, but you're helping other people carry the weight on their shoulders. Is, is that something that might be on that lily pad someday? Absolutely. And I suspect you're being recognized at the regional and maybe even at the national level for your successes and uh, what yes. you're able to do. And let's put it another way. Uh, I'm looking at my white hair on screen here in the Zoom call. And I'm thinking an awful lot of people who came up through the ranks, if you will, from in GM, Ford, all the big companies are pretty old, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and they need, we need the new generation, the millennials and even the Z's to be coming up in and uh, bringing your firsthand knowledge of what life is like when you're under 50. Uh, and other things too. You've had uh, many of you had superior educations that were not even available to some of those folks when they when they made their starts. So being the person who can either work at a regional level and help build agents, you know, build dealerships on to the next level, do consulting, doing training, but you're still going to be around the uh, uh, objects that have four wheels. You think? You think you? Well, that's my passion guy? because. Even outside of work, cars have always been a hobby for me. Um, look, it's not just everyday cars. Some of them are specialty vehicles that are collectible mm. and they're investments. Mm. You know, it's it's very nice to purchase a vehicle, know what you're getting is 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 unique and hold on to it for a few years and sell it and sell it for more than what you bought it for. That's a very good feeling. You have a place to put such vehicles? I, I do. Right right now, I sold quite a few of them during COVID, but I did have six vehicles personally prior, and that's the most I've had at one time, and I've always had a company car. Let me, let me hear, because I love cars too, what would be one of those six that you, that you held on to and sold? And model make and... and sure. Model. What sure, I'll special? give you an example. I had a, a 1998 Mustang GT convertible. Ooh. It was an automatic transmission, which is actually not as desirable as the manual, but 
what what this car had going for it was one previous owner and 32,000 miles. Wow. Mint. <laughs> it it was an it was really probably I would say an 8 out of 10 in condition because I'm 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 a harsh critic. Mm -hmm. But with that said, I had the car for 3 years. I drove it in the summer. I let my brother take it out and <laughs> wow. I sold and I You're sold a it good for brother more than I bought it for. <laughs> And you had fun with it. Yeah, I did. I did. And I think it's important to enjoy vehicles. Um, but it's nice. It's nice to have the knowledge around makes models and values so that I can I can invest in them in my personal time and have some sort of return if I wish. Uh, I'm, I'm so impressed. I, re I really am impressed. Uh, sure. <laughs> Now uh, I can tell you that we'll never take back the fear on Duran scholarship. You, you earned it. <laughs> You're still earning it. Uh, it. It didn't have a string on it, but uh, I, I knew back then when we dedicated this scholarship to business excellence, but someone who believed in it, whatever the business may be, excellence was the, was the, uh, the point. And I know that that's a word that's been chewed and, uh, maybe spit out and, and, and yet I still believe in it. Don't you? Excellent. Absolutely. Yes. And you have to define what excellence is, right? Of course. Um, because it's not just being the best. It's, it's taking where you are and it's improving. And you just build upon the foundation. It's also recognizing in, in a wonderful manner of humility either for yourself in the work you do, or even for, in your case, the organization you're building to this moment, that moment of humility where you say, yeah, yeah, we, we won this, we're, we've hit the standard, we're, we're eight on, out, of, out of 10 on the chart, but what about nine and 10 on the chart? What about 11? Yeah. And, and it's not done in a frenzied way. Come on, you guys, we're going to hit 11. It's entertaining with genuine belief that you could do an 11 or a 12. Right. I mean, that's it. And it's you with three jobs, 18 credits, uh, and in every case being clear-headed, wonderfully polite, but you knew there was something that you were going to pursue. And I couldn't get you out of it. I'm glad I didn't because I, you are you're the people, the kind of people who give us hope in purchasing these automobiles that uh, yeah. there's going to be someone like you when you, when we walk into one of those dealerships or we get online with a dealership, if that's what it takes. So, man, oh man. And I, I am pre I appreciate uh, the opportunities that, that you've given me. And also, you know, you always had my best interests in mind. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was explaining to you, um, my opportunity at the car dealership, your facial expression looks similar to my parents because, you know, it's like, well, I put my child through school and they're going to go sell cars. What will I tell my friends? <laughs> but, but in reality, um, you know, I sold, I sold, I started selling cars in the summer when I was in college. When I graduated a few months later, um, the company I worked for happened to buy another small dealership. 
And even though I had less experience than anyone else that was working there, they offered me a position to be one of the sales managers because I proved that I, that, that I could help grow the company, but also lead the team. You know, it's not just the results. It's also the morale that, right. that comes with it. That's right. And one thing I've done, especially through this pandemic where we've sold less cars I've made sure that we've been equally as profitable through acquiring the proper inventory and making sure that, you know, we're maximizing our financial opportunity with each vehicle. Wow. You know, that, that's, that's something your folks at yeah. this moment are probably quite proud of. And this so year I. we have sold less vehicles and mm -hmm. we are up significantly from last year. Mm -mm -mm. Wow. Ryan Goldstein, you have given me one of the most fun and encouraging podcasts in 120 of them that I've <laughs> done since Peter Vale and I set this uh, in motion uh, in, in uh, 2019. So I want to thank you so much. Doc, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And I look forward to doing this again with you sometime. There's going to be another chapter in the Ryan Goldstein story. I know it. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to anactionresearch.com slash podcasts dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to anactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.